Coming up on today's show... Wild Card Weekend is in the books. It was a great weekend for fans. Not so much of a great weekend for quarterbacks over 40. Well, at least all three of them are going to the Hall of Fame. Right, Josh McCown? Kid Cuzzy balled out. DK Metcalf silenced the doubters, and the Cowboys gave us another opportunity to be the top head coaching duo in the game. Cakewalks, wee-wees, and more love for Josh McCown. All of this and much, much more on another Golden Globe Award-winning edition of The Tomahawk Show. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to the Tomahawk Show. I am your humblest of co-hosts, as always, Andrew Hawk Hawkins, at Hawk on Twitter. Follow your boy. Joined by my partner in crime, Joseph Hayden Thomas, uh, NFL Network media star personality, um, one of the best 150 NFL players of all time. That is a fact. The first offensive lineman in NFL history. That is a fact. Um, A 10-time Pro Bowler. I did make 10 Pro Bowls, yes. Fact. Yes, 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 yes. facts, more facts. Yeah, and Kill him he with facts today. has a high school education was the highest degree he obtained. Joe. This is also true. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing good, man. I'm uh, still reeling from Wild Card Weekend. A uh, lot of crazy fun games, a lot of travel for me going yeah. back and forth between Wisconsin and the Rose Bowl and L.A. and then back to Wisconsin again. So it's been it's been busy. I'm I'm looking forward to getting into like the routine of the regular week. And we'll get into all of this, but who did you pick to win the Rose Bowl? Uh well the good news is I didn't have to pick anybody. Okay. I just went there as a fan. I was not yeah, working. Not I was working. just enjoying myself. And so I was hoping the Badgers won, of course. Uh, which they did not, but it was a great game. I would say the only thing that I did not love about my Rose Bowl experience outside of the outcome is that Uh, For those of you that have never been to the Rose Bowl Stadium itself, the video review board is roughly the size of the TV in Hawk's house, (laughs) and there's like 90,000 people in that bowl, and so the chances of being able to see what happened on a play, unless you're like standing right there and watching it, are next to nil, and there was a few controversial calls at the end of the Rose Bowl that uh, everybody in the stadium was wondering what happened because there was a offensive pass interference call on a long Wisconsin pass when they were driving to go win the game that uh, nullified a huge gain and basically ended the game for Wisconsin that was sort of controversial and nobody really saw what happened, and so to this day, I still didn't really figure out what happened except for all the Wisconsin fans have been griping, of course, So, um, but that, that was the only bad part, so Rose Bowl... Talk to Andrew Hawkins. He's got enough money. He'll put up a new video board yep, and then make that absolutely the perfect football mecca. Yep. I actually went to the Rose Bowl once when I tried out for really? fourth and long, the reality show. That's where like the final combine was. That's held. where the tryout. They, oh, wow. At the Rose Bowl. So we were at the Rose Bowl and I was like taking pictures and selfies in front of the stadium because I was like, I can't believe wow. I'm at the Rose Bowl. It was such a big <laughs> deal to me at the time. Now I could well, care it should less. Be. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Time. Is it controversial or controversial? Or is it a tomato tomato situation? Is it Caribbean or Caribbean? That's I don't know. A, it's, Maybe it's, somebody. It's. I, I think it's. Send just, us a voicemail. Send us a voicemail. Let us know because I have no idea. Because I go back and forth and I'm never sure if it's actually a right thing or if it's like, oh, dealer's choice, man. Whatever you want to say. Sometimes I say controver- controversial, and I don't think that for sure isn't a dealer's choice. Situation. I would say that's uh, C. None of the above. Yes, that's a definitely a, a wrong. <laughs> All right. Well, you can interact with us on social media at Tomahawk Show. Hit us up on Facebook, Reddit, Twitter. All of that, hit the voicemail line up, 
All of our episodes release also on Uninterrupted YouTube page. YouTube page, just check that out. Um, Wild Card Weekend was amazing. All right, let's just say that. I don't want to tease it too much. Let's just jump right into Tama Headlines. This is a special report from Tama Headlines. The Tennessee Titans beat the New England Patriots and sent the dynasty home for the playoffs, man. Just mm. like only the smartest of humans predicted, you know? Oh. What, give, give me one of your takeaways from that game, Joe. Well, obviously, the big takeaway everybody's talking about is, was this Brady's last game? Was this Brady's last game in a Patriots uniform? Uh, but my takeaway was it was interesting to watch the strategy because, you know, your old coach, Bill Belichick, your old buddy, yeah, that's my guy. he's Mr. Strategy, right? Mm-hmm. He's Mr. Odds and Probabilities. And he, even though he kind of uh, scoffs at analytics a bit, he really uses them a lot in his own head, right? right? And so in this game, the... Tennessee Titans were running the ball very well, very effectively. They weren't throwing the ball hardly at all. Ryan Tannehill only attempted 15 passes in the game. Uh, And it was all about Derrick Henry. And the Patriots took the calculated risk that they were willing to allow Derrick Henry to to run for five, six, ten-yard clips. Uh, And they felt like if he did that, they would be able to make one more play than they did at the end of the game as long as they didn't allow Ryan Tannehill to make any big throws down the field. Um, and it almost came to fruition, except for uh, end-of-the-game struggles by the Patriots. They almost won that game in in a manner when they gave up 182 yards on the ground to Derrick Henry alone. Beast. So uh, it, was just, it was just interesting that Belichick was very happy to just allow him to have their running game. He didn't make crazy wholesale adjustments in the second half to try to shut down Derrick Henry other than going to a little bit of that 6-1, but it wasn't like all of a sudden he started blitzing guys and started sending the house to try to get him out of running the football. Um, And he took the calculated risk. It didn't pay off. However, I do think that Belichick saw what New England's offense was and knew that they weren't going to be able to score enough points if it kind of got into one of those back and forth. So it turned out to be a low-scoring affair, and outside of that pick six right at the end of the game, it was a one-point game right to the end. I got a question for you, and this is me deviating from the script a little bit. When they say that the the Patriots don't have uh, that talented of an offense, what the hell are we talking about? Make make it make sense to me, because I, I hear the conversations that Edelman is a Hall of Fame receiver, Okay. Is that not is that not a real debate that happens? Well, I think that's going to be a debate because he's tremendous in the postseason, but when you consider his regular season numbers compared to other guys that are in the Hall of Fame, he doesn't really match well, up. What I'm saying is debatable Hall of Fame receivers are number one receivers. Is that is that But that's why it's debatable because well, it's not he's debatable not your if he's a number, number one, one. He's not a the, typical number one outside receiver. Right, but it's not it's not the debate isn't whether or not he's a number one receiver. The debate is whether or not he has he's a Hall of Fame receiver, right? It's like Yeah. So yeah. No, I, I know what you're saying. And and this was my argument all weekend, because I did, you know, three total access shows and I did the game day morning pregame. So we were talking the shit out of the Patriots. Right. Everything was Patriots and everyone was jumping off their bandwagon. I was one of the few guys that kept saying, like, look, I understand what we're used to and where our expectations are with the Patriots. In our minds, we all expect sixteen and zero in the regular season and this juggernaut number one in the NFL offense. And they weren't that. 
But they were still a damn good team. They were still yeah. 12 and 4. They had the number one defense in the NFL. They had a pretty good offense. Brady wasn't the Brady of old, but he was still really efficient. They were still moving the ball and scoring points. Um, and so it wasn't like they were terrible. They just weren't up to the level of expectations that we usually had for them. And so I think that's kind of what you're getting at. It, uh, yeah. It's not that they had no weapons or they stunk, but they just weren't up to the normal expectations Patriots offense. Right. Gronk isn't there. That's that's the only Gronk's not Gronk there. isn't there. You can't tell me a guy is a Hall of Fame receiver and then say they don't have any weapons. Mo Sanu was the number two receiver for Julio Jones, and he was a damn good number two, one of the best number two receivers in the league. That's their number two. They have Julian Edelman, who they say is a Hall of Fame receiver. If that's the debate you're having, then they have a good receiving core. The running backs were the position of power for their offense. They have a pretty good running back core. Tom Brady is the best quarterback to ever play the game. He's on the team. The only variable, the two variables are Tom Brady is older and Gronk isn't there. So those are excuses to me. I'm just giving my opinion. Regardless, though, without talking about the Patriots, the Titans, I got to give a shout out to Vrabel. I got to give a shout out to, I'll say Tannehill, but Tannehill didn't really do anything. He made some plays when he had to, but this is a Derrick Henry win. He had 72 yards passing. Like we made fun of, uh, who was the quarterback in Jacksonville? Blake. Blake Bortles. Blake Bortles for like 75 yards passing when they beat the Steelers. We made fun of him. He was the butt of all of my jokes on SportsCenter on Snapchat because he won a playoff game throwing like 80 yards. So I'm, I can't now praise Tannehill for throwing 72. Now, granted, Blake had a lot more opportunities to, 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 to throw more than 80 yards than Tannehill did, but I got to give Derrick Henry the MVP because literally they just gave him the ball and he just ran it down their throats. So to me, the story of the game was the goal line stand that the Tennessee Titans defense had. Uh, New England got down to the one-yard line. It was first and goal from the one, and they ran basically three outside zones to the left and were stuffed every single time. Mm-hmm. Outside zone on the goal line in short yardage since before I was even in the NFL has been New England's go-to play. And if it's executed properly, if you get really tight Dude. splits, if all the offensive linemen and the running backs and the tight ends – get their their bodies on the same railroad tracks and they all run off the ball with speed and and uh, low pad level it's almost an impossible play to stop but what you saw again was a failure from the New England Patriots offensive line to be able to handle those interior guys from Tennessee and especially on the third down stop you'll see that New England center gets blown way back into the backfield. The, mm-hmm. the running back has to bubble and has to run a little bit wider and deeper than he wants, which slows him down, and then that gives all those inside linebackers an opportunity to catch up and make the tackle. And so uh, great job executing by Tennessee. Yep. Everybody knew what play was coming, but they just did a better job executing. And I think that was kind of the story of the Patriots season. They are kind of doing the same stuff they've always been, but the talent wasn't as good as it has been. And so they were just getting beat in those one-on-one matchups. And it was a little bit of staleness from the Patriots. They're doing the same stuff they've been doing forever. And so people are starting to pick up on it. And because they don't have the talent that they used to have now, Mm. it's going from the Patriots being able to win by 14 to losing by one or two. And I'll do you one better. There's a guy on the other sideline who's coaching the team who knows those tendencies yeah. you're talking about, who knows what you do in those situations better than anybody else, which is why a lot of times New England coaches don't always work in other places, mm. but they typically do halfway decent against the Patriots because they've been in that building for so long. When Vrabel first got hired, you know, I'm a huge Vrabel fan. We go way back to like 
when I was rehabbing my ankle and he was like helping me get there. Just salt of the earth dude, football guy, motivator, cares about everything he does. Um, when he first got hired, my prediction was that he would be one of the New England guys who actually succeeded because he played in New England. He didn't coach in New England, right? Which is a different right. mindset. Um, he played in New England and then he coached elsewhere in his coaching career before he got to where he was. He climbed the ranks with the Texans in a different style. So he learned coaching. He's seen coaching firsthand in New England. Um, but he's not implementing just a Bill Belichick style coaching because that's not what he's learned. Yeah. And well, he also played in Kansas City for yes. Todd Haley yep. and then Romeo Cornell. Yep. Um, so he had he did have much more of a background than most guys mm-hmm. that you see that come from the New England system. So I think that was a great take. I totally agree. So and I had a conversation on Twitter this week, and I want to get your take on this. Sam Monson from Pro Football Focus, one of my guys. And when I say one of my guys, I genuinely mean one of my guys. Like back in like 2009. Before Sam was with PFF, he was just a, a guy who loved football in Ireland, I believe, at the time, who was working on like becoming what he is now, which is a, a, a guru with the analytics. He would watch fourth and long, and he would be the guy, like we would tweet back and forth and had a relationship. He's like, yo, really? you, need, you need to be on an NFL roster. Like, so we go back 10 years that much, right? But Sam had a take on Twitter. Reggie Bush talked about maybe, I forget who it was, maybe Eric Bieniemy saying like how he's done well with the, the offense and, and the Chiefs and as a coach and different stops. And also he's a player and there's no one that players respect more than guys, coaches who have also played. And Sam sent a tweet illustrating that it was silly, basically saying Bill Belichick didn't play, played like, you know, low-level football. Andy Reid didn't play high-level football. And maybe Sean McVay, you know, played at 300 yards in, at Miami of Ohio. And I illustrated, I said, still not wrong. Players do respect coaches that played. Um, and his take was that it was silly, and I disagreed. And my reason for disagreeing was because it's perspective, right? And I was trying to illustrate, and it's, it's hard to do in tweets, um, but I was trying to illustrate, like, the benefit of a coach who has played. So I, before I get into, like, what my take was, I, I, I want to get your opinion on, do you think a coach who has played high-level football, um, do you think it's wrong for players to respect a coach who has played highest level football? And why do you think that is? It's kind of an unusual question the way you pose it. Here's what I would say. I respect pretty much any coach in the NFL as long as they got there either by paying their dues as a player or by paying their dues somewhere working their way up through the organization. You know, if they got the job because their dad was the head coach and they, you know, skyrocketed to the top, eh, probably not a lot of respect. Yep. But that's just getting your foot in the door. As soon as they start talking in the meeting, like I am evaluating and judging them solely on their knowledge of the game of football and their ability to put me in a great position to succeed. Do you think it gives them an advantage? I guess that's my question. That's a better question. It it does because if you're a guy that I recognize your name from your career, instantly I'm going to go, oh, you've walked in my shoes so you understand what it's like. And you probably know a lot about the position and you probably know a lot about the sport. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go in and I'm going to give you probably more of a benefit of a doubt than a guy who maybe hasn't played or here's the one that I don't respect right off the bat. And this is probably my own personal bias. But if you're an NFL coach for the first time and you have primarily been a college coach, I'm going to come in a little bit leery because I'm going to think, 
hey, I played in college. I played in the pros. I know how different those games are. Yep. I know how big the jump was for me when I went from college to the pros, and I made a Pro Bowl my first year. So I can only imagine what it's like if you were a decent or a good college coach mm-hmm. trying to make that transition to the NFL game. There, there's a big chasm as far as what the college game brings and what it demands out of you as a coach and what the pro game demands out of you. Primarily in college, you're a great coach because you recruit really well, and then you develop as second most important. And then uh, in the pro game, the number one thing you got to do is develop because the players you get are largely a result of draft and free agency by somebody else. Mm-hmm. And so for the most part, the talent is, is pretty equal, and so coaching is what makes the difference uh, in a lot of respects when it comes to being an NFL coach. So uh, you got to prove it to me. If you're a college coach and you're coming into the NFL to respect what you have to say and to prove that you know what you're talking about, whereas if you're a guy who's been around the NFL a long time or you played in the NFL, you got to prove me that you don't know what you're talking about. So you get the benefit of the doubt a little bit. And his thing was like, I was like, yes, guys do respect guys who played in the league because they've walked in their shoes and they understand their perspective. When you're telling me, hey, just lower and dip your shoulder on Richard Sherman, I'm like, yo, it's not that fucking easy. Like, there's a reason why he's all pro all these years. Like, it's. Like for someone who's been in that and tells me, hey, I know this is hard. Here's what's going to happen. Here's how you I do have a little bit more of a respect and it's not an affinity, which was the question that Sam asked me. Is it a respect or affinity? It's a respect because here's how I take it. It it is a a source of information and perspective that was earned. Right. It's not a it's, it's not information that you can subscribe to and get a monthly report on. Right. It's not information you can go read in a book. It's a perspective that you don't get to the NFL by luck. It's not a lottery. They don't pull names out of a hat. Well, unless you're getting drafted, but even still, you have to earn to that level. Um, so for the respect comes from saying, oh, okay, you have a perspective that I also have that you took a lifelong time to earn, and that's that's extra information, right? So, and it's not that it's the variable that changes everything. No, it's just an additive to whatever you're doing. So if you're a good coach and you've never played in the NFL because you put the work in and you're an expert, and you're a good coach who played in the NFL and still put the work in it because you're an expert, to me, you're the the better option because you have a whole different subset of information that the other guy doesn't have because he hasn't seen the game from that level. And it's and it's it's better to relate to players that way. It's like an analytics tool, right? Like everyone analytics is just information that is additive. It's a tool in the toolbox. So when you play it in the NFL, it's a perspective, it's a tool that you can use, right? The quarterbacks who are fast. They said, as a receiver, I didn't want to play with mobile quarterbacks, Joe. You know why? Tell me. Because they run. They don't pass every time. I wanted to sleuth with a guy <laughs> who, hell or high water, he was going to throw the ball down the field. Yeah. I bet you Josh Gordon might have a different perspective, <laughs> though, because he was usually the guy getting the ball when the quarterback starts to scramble. Yeah. The five foot six slot <laughs> receiver was not getting the ball and scrambling. Well, I'm talking about the guy who's running the ball, right? Like the guy who takes off and runs every time when things yeah. get hot. Um, yeah. but the, the reality is being a fast quarterback who can, who run the football, that's a, that's additive to the quarterback. It's not a detriment for a quarterback. If Peyton Manning ran a four, four, he'd be a better quarterback. He wouldn't be a bad quarterback because he's not yeah, all the same. I will say the, the one issue that you do run into a lot of times with players is there's an entitlement. Former players that go into coaching, a lot of times they do have a little entitlement. I'm not going to say all the time, yeah. but I've run into plenty of them where they're like, well, I played, so I don't have to put in as much work as Joe Schmo, who was a graduate assistant and worked his way up. And that was part of the reason for a long time that you didn't see many former players coaching for Bill Belichick. 
because he didn't think that they had the work ethic that guys who are just nerdy, humongous fans that were willing to work 18 to 20 hours Mm -hmm. a day. Like if I play 10 years in the NFL, I'm probably not going to be willing to spend 20 hours a week or excuse me, per day, every day of the week in the office cutting up practice film for Bill Belichick to work my way up. Now, I think his philosophy has such since changed a little bit because now he does have more former players into his coaching staff. But for a long time, it, he just wanted guys that were super smart, like the Matt Patricia, like super smart, just super fans of football, like rocket scientists that he could just train and teach everything about the game of football. And I think this is part of the reason why sports are so popular, especially the game of football, is because – there is so many things to learn to understand the game or even to understand some of the details. And there's no college courses you can go and take and learn this stuff. Right. And so for people that are smart people that like to learn, which it seems like there's a lot of people out there nowadays that are, they're just hungry for learning. Right. You can learn everything under the sun by reading books, listening to podcasts, watching YouTube videos. But when it comes to the game of football, it's almost like you have to experience it. Yeah. And there's more people out there now that are trying to teach the game in different manners, but there's still no course. There's still no book you can just pick up and read and like, okay, I finished seven series of pro football how to's and now I'm good enough to be able to go out and coach and understand everything that goes on because there's so much minutia and so much detail yeah. in the sport. Uh, and that's different than any other sport because of 11 on 11 with very few rules and so much physicality and so much strategy because of the pauses in between plays. Yeah. No, I like that, man. And you're right about the entitlement thing. I think that's more of like a personality thing though, right? Like if you're an entitled, there's coaches who have coached for certain coaches and they have entitlement or they, I've been a Super Bowl champion coach, blah, 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 blah. That's entitlement. You know, like that's no doubt that goes across the board. All right. We'll get off that before we leave this game. We got to talk. What does the future hold for Brady and Belichick and the New England Patriots. Yeah, that was the big topic uh, after the game. I did, you know, 90 minutes or two hours of total access, and almost every chat we had was, well, is this Brady and Belichick's last game together? And as you guys know, I've been saying all year, this is definitely Brady's last year. I think he's going to retire. All the signs are pointing to that he wants to retire because if I know one thing about Brady, he never wants to make it about himself. Mm. He's the consummate professional. He's one of the greatest team players of all time in any sport. And the last thing he wants to do is let anybody know when he's going to retire because then it becomes the farewell tour. Every stadium he goes to, he gets the round of applause. He gets a million questions. It's all about him, and he doesn't ever want that. So I firmly believe that the day he retires is going to be a surprise to everybody, and he's not going to announce it to anyone. He's going to keep saying, oh, I want to play five more years, five more years, five more years, and all of a sudden he's going to retire, and it'll be a surprise. With that being said, (laughs) even though he sold his house and his trainer sold his house and he doesn't have a contract anymore and they haven't even talked about working out another contract and he has said he doesn't want to be franchised or uh, transition tagged, and so they wrote that into the last contract, Mm All these things are pointing to the fact that he's probably going to retire or go somewhere else. The one thing he did say after the game is that it's probably unlikely that this is his last game. And when he said it, I just got the feeling that even though Brady is very evasive when he works with the media, I don't ever feel like he was a liar. Right. Like I always felt like he was giving you as much as he felt like he could while still protecting all the trade secrets and the injury secrets and any advantages that he could keep over his opponent. I, I just think he's a very honest and upstanding, one of the greatest uh-huh. people 
around and the people that know him say the same thing. And so I wouldn't think that if he had been convinced that he was going to retire, that he would say it's probably unlikely that he's going to retire. Yeah. I think at that point he would have said, I don't know, I need to take some time. I think that's what he would have said, yeah. and he didn't say it. So I do feel like he's going to come back. However, based on the things that I know about Belichick and the fact that Belichick, in my opinion, has become enamored with the dual-threat quarterback, and he's seen the changes in NFL offenses, mm -hmm. and he saw firsthand how badly Lamar Jackson destroyed his defense, yeah. the number one defense in the NFL, that Belichick, yeah. as the ultimate competitor, is thinking, that ride. I want to see what I can do <laughs> with a dual threat young quarterback yep. to be able to build a roster around him. He's got that competitive instinct and that competitive fire inside of him wondering if, can I build this thing again with a different model? Yeah. Cause I'm going to lose Josh McDaniels. Probably he's probably going to go take a head coaching job somewhere. Brady's the dinosaur, the stand in the pocket, throw the football that you don't see much in the NFL he's anymore. Not scrambling. And I just think that Belichick wants a new challenge. It's, it's like the guy that has memorized every, uh, possible play in hearts so you're saying do, do, do you play hearts no i don't play hearts okay a card game do okay. you play euchre do you play spades nope. um, you play bourree nope, nope and nope so so you're not white or black yeah, no, now I'm, I'm really I mean, co I, confused yeah, no blackjack no <laughs> straight i don't know uh, go poker a, who knows I was, a, I was a hell of a go fish player okay go fish yeah. so all right in, in cards like if you play the same game over and over again pretty soon you memorize the odds for every hand and every decision yep. and it just becomes like a computer and then it gets boring because there's no human error there's no thought that goes into any of it you just look what's been played and you just play your next card and it just becomes a game of chance mm -hmm. and so instead of playing two hours of cards you might as well just uh flip a coin and see who wins because that's essentially what it is when you're playing against somebody right. who knows what the odds and he's always playing his odds every time he plays yeah. and so i think that's what it's become for belichick he's just bored because he knows every situation possible he knows every defense every offense that he's seen and it's just boring for him i know i'm going to win the division i know we're going to go to the yeah playoffs. he knows he knows exactly what card to play at all times and he's bored and i think he wants a new challenge and i think he feels like this is as good of time as ever to start over because of brady's age his contract situation the ability that uh they could probably go into the draft and pick a young dual threat quarterback who they could build around on a cheap contract and he's probably gonna lose josh mcdaniels so he's gonna need to put in a new offensive coordinator anyway plus he still has that defense together that number one defense that he can build around he actually wanted to do that two years ago with Jimmy Garoppolo. And I think yeah, that's some, I agree. You do, can you imagine if Jimmy Garoppolo went to the Super Bowl this year? Oh boy. Like, you know, what Belichick going into craft saying like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to need even more control and 17% <laughs> more control than all of it. I, I have all of it. I need more than that. <laughs> I, I like even more control than that. Yeah. All right. So basically Tom Brady is going to play for the Los Angeles chargers next year. I was going to say that, that you just stole my teeth. My bad. I have a, a team that I think he's going to go to. But I wanted to hear what you have to yeah. say. Was it the Los Angeles Chargers? It was the Los <laughs> Angeles Chargers because that's the popular choice that everybody's saying. He wants to get closer to California because yep. that's where he's from. A lot of family out there. He is really close with his family. He sacrificed so much being out in Boston all these years. I think he's understanding like nobody has ever sacrificed more to get where they are. Mm -hmm. I remember talking to Michael Strahan and he told a story about he sat down with Brady in March after one of his Super Bowls like 10 years ago uh -huh. and they were having lunch somewhere and Strahan ordered a beer and a burger or whatever and of course Brady ordered one of his bizarre meals and, and avocado toast and um 
sunflowers. Yeah, and Strahan was like, uh, juice extract. What kind of beer do you want? Yeah, and Brady was like, uh, no, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not drinking. I'm, I'm training for next year. And Strahan was like, dude, you got like six months before training <laughs> camp even starts. He's like, no, I'm training. And so that's basically been Tom Brady's life. It's wake up and think about football and do football stuff 24 7, 365. Mm-hmm. And he's got these amazing family, these amazing kids he loves, his wife. I think his parents are still around. He's got friends all over. And I think he, he's ready to reconnect with them a little bit more yeah. and maybe let football take a back seat. Well, the Los Angeles Chargers will be happy to have him. All right. Again, I keep saying before we move on. Titans, do they have a chance versus the Baltimore Ravens? Yes or no? One, one word answer. Yes. They do have a chance. Remember at the beginning of the season? You said one, you said one word answer, so I gave yeah, you a Yeah, no, I yes. appreciate it. Remember at the beginning of the season when the Titans whipped the Browns' ass and we were like, this team isn't even going to make the playoffs. How did the Browns do that? <laughs> here they are, advancing well, to the division round. Close to not making the playoffs. True. They finished 9-7. and seven. True, true. <laughs> but they may have just ended the Patriots' dynasty. All right, next game. The second week of the playoffs is upon us. The bad news is that there's only a few more weeks left in the football season. But the good news is you can still get your fantasy fix with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy football. And if you've never played before, there's even more to celebrate. You can play for a $1 million top prize this weekend. Draft your lineup and feel the sweat like never before. Every run, throw, and catch me more with the DraftKings lineup on the line. It's simple. Just draft your lineup. Stay under the salary cap and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Nothing adds to the sweat of watching a game quite like having a shot at the $1 million top prize. Plus, all new and existing users can get a deposit bonus up to $500. That's some extra cash to play with throughout the playoffs. With only the best football teams left, there's no better time to be playing. Download the DraftKings app now and use code TOMAHAWK. For a limited time, both new and existing users can get a deposit bonus up to $500 on your next deposit. Remember, that's code TOMAHAWK, T-H-O-M-A-H-A-W-K, and you can get a deposit bonus up to $500 only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Deposit bonus requires 25X playthrough. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Vikings versus the Saints. OT Thriller. Kid Cuzzy balled out, Joe. He just put it all in your face. Like all that smack you've been talking. Yeah, I loved it. In the prime time, <laughs> watch me ball out, Joe. What do you what were your thoughts on this game, man? Yeah, Beef Brewski, the number one Joe Thomas Tomahawk troll, was out there. <laughs> oh, he and he ready. actually paid me off before I went on TV this weekend and talked about how uh Kirk Cousins is getting in his own head and he's gonna be more unable the longer this goes to get over that hump of winning the big game in primetime, uh-huh. what does he do? He drops an absolute dime piece oh, wow. to Adam Thielen. He drops that baby like the stork right on the doorstep <laughs> of Adam Thielen, who's makes an amazing catch too. And then in the back of the end zone, he hits Kyle Rudolph for the go ahead score, uh, the game winner, which was awesome. And I think, for everybody that knows Kirk, he's a really super nice guy Incredible and everyone dude. around him in that Vikings organization. You saw it after the game right. in the locker room, how happy they were for this guy because they know how much it bothers him that the the brand that he has is that he crumbles in prime time and it affects him more than any quarterback that we can remember in modern history. Like Kirk is very sensitive when it comes to what people say about him in the media and he hears it. Uh-huh. He's almost like Mitch Trubisky with a lot more money and more success. And a, a whereas lot more like guaranteed what, money, yeah. 
a lot more guaranteed money. Whatever people say about him, it bugs him. Like, whereas guys like Brady and Phillip Rivers and Aaron Rodgers, like all those other great quarterbacks that you talk about, they don't really care. Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston doesn't <laughs> care. He keeps throwing interceptions. It's like, what? Watch this but, pick sick. Boop. I don't care. Yeah, Do but again. for Kirk, like, it, you could see it on his face in those games where it was those big moments and you could see one tiny little thing happen bad. And, he's like, and all of a sudden he'd start pressing. Yep. And he'd put more pressure on himself. And then he'd make another mistake. And then he would get tight and he would make another mistake and another mistake. And so it'll be interesting to see now that he kind of has gotten over the hump and he's got sort of that signature win in a big moment. Will this domino into a Super Bowl championship? And he goes on and he becomes one of those great quarterbacks that we talk about. Uh-huh. Or is there a reversion of the mean? And he goes into that big moment in next weekend's game, oh, he and he is, screws it up. He is going to get his head beat in next week. I don't want to tease <laughs> the pick, but I think wow. Kyle Shanahan is going to give Kirk Cousins hell next week. So before we get off of this game, okay, I'm interested to hear your take. If Kyle Shanahan, the San Francisco 49ers, beat Kirk Cousins' brain in next week, is the primetime curse back on? I don't think it's... Or has he forever got rid of it well, here's with the this thing. win? Technically, his game today wasn't the primetime game. The Seahawks were the primetime. When you're okay, the, the early okay. game, isn't the primetime game. Biggest, but this is the biggest moment of his career. I missed the first half because I was asleep. I took my family <laughs> to the airport, fell asleep. I didn't realize on the West Coast, it was the 10 a.m. game. Yeah, I wish I was still asleep. I was... Uh... Just a few hours getting off of TV out in LA before I had to take the red eye home. All right. Well, I don't, I, I wouldn't say the curse is back on. I just I would just say okay. he got his, his ass beat by someone who knows there's not a there's not a coaching staff who knows Kirk Cousins more than the staff out in San Francisco. So that's just going to be hard for him to beat. And, and Kyle knows the oh the he knows head space that Kirk oh, gets into, and he knows he hears Kirk and reads everything wait. that people say about him. So there's going to be so much smack coming out of San Fran this week talking about, <sighs> yeah, Kirk made one play, but we know when the pressure's on him, he's mm, going to make mm, a mistake, mm. and it's going to get in his head again. So that's one thing you can take to the bank. You're going to hear a lot of trash talk out of San Fran trying to get into Kirk's head this week. They gave Garoppolo Kirk's contract. Kirk is going to be <laughs> up for this game. He's going to be ready. If Kirk can't be up for this game, Mm. then there's there's no game he'll ever play where he'll be jacked up for. So I don't want to hear mm. that you like that. If you can't be up, I'm not saying he has to play perfect. I'm not saying he has to win because, again, this is a, a really good football team. But you, yeah. I, I got to see some I gotta see some Josh McCown-style fight out of you in this one because there's too many. <laughs> no hamstring pulls. Yeah, though. there's, there's too, on, the, on drop-back passes. Yep, there's, there's, there's too <laughs> many uh, motivational uh, variables in here for you. All right, so the Saints. Saints get eliminated again from the playoffs. Are we are we done saying are we done predicting the Saints are going to win the Super Bowl every year? Could we just do away with that now? Well, I predicted they'd win the Super Bowl this year, and it turned out to be a bad take yep. because they're out right now. But up until about I don't know six hours ago, we're recording Sunday night here. Yep, uh, it was looking pretty good. I mean, they started the game hot; they were rolling pretty good, and they just kind of uh, stepped on their own wee wees in the second half, and they weren't able yeah, to really score much and. Uh, Drew Drew Brees looked a little bit befuddled. We thought that my, wife, my, the my mom would be. It a she called her a wee wee when I was yeah. growing up. No. Not to get not to get too weird. <laughs> the, this, we thought the advantage would be to the Saints playing in that dome, but I tell you what, that Vikings defense looked fast. Yeah. They looked physical. They looked powerful, and that's one thing that translates when you when you go from grass to turf. Yeah, everybody's faster. So are the defensive linemen. Yeah. So are the linebackers, and they're more powerful. And dude, as good and physical as the Saints front is, 
the Vikings were getting after him, man. They were hitting Drew Brees. They were getting to the running backs. They were stopping him. They were flying all over that field. You could tell Mike Zimmer had his defense ready and tuned up to play the Saints, and and it showed. And it was a, it was a defensive battle that was eventually, yeah, Kirk Cousins gets the spotlight, but to me, it was really the story. The Vikings defense yep. playing great all Absolutely, game. Absolutely, because they shut down an incredible offense. So Zimmer, I mean, yep. it's funny that the conversation around Zimmer is he's not going to be the Vikings head coach, or is it that? Like he's one of the best Viking coaches ever. And even still, there were just been conversations, even up to this week. That is that's what I don't understand. Is Zimmer going what, to go to the What do you like about this guy? Yeah, man. I don't. I think he like, just has a person. Have you ever met Zimmer? He yeah, he's I'm very talking impressive. about zero filter. So no, if you don't like impressive. him, he can make it very easy for you to go the other way on him. But the thing is, he yeah. gets results because his players respect the hell out of him, and he's a good freaking coach, and he has been his entire career. Yeah. I, I will say the one issue that Zim has had is the offense, right? Because he's he just hasn't had guy. the right coordinator yeah. in there up until this year. Now that he's got Kevin Stefanski and Gary Kubiak, and he's got a great offense that's rolling. Um, but this is the problem that we've talked about when you hire a defensive-minded head coach. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you get the things that you want. You get the toughness, the discipline, the accountability. But then when you finally start winning and you have an offense that's rolling a little bit, your offensive coordinator, you know what? He's going to go be a head coach. And now what do you do, right? Okay, Stefanski and Kubiak go and leave, and let's say they take the Cleveland job. What's he going to do? Because you don't want to change your offense. You finally got something that's working really well. Do you hire like a Mike McDaniel from the 49ers? Do you hire uh, uh, Mike LaFleur Mm -hmm. from the 49ers? Like you got to hire somebody that can – call the same offense, but you never know if they're going to be as good at teaching it and as you're right. If was. they are, what happens? They're gone. And they go leave. <laughs> it's just it's like a it's a never ending cycle, which I guess is coaching yeah. in general. But I gotta pat Zimmer on the back because most guys, and if you talk about the Browns and we're early on the Browns talk, but you know, I think what did uh Dorsey in was his ability not to admit he was wrong on the Freddie hire, which is a does a lot of people in because it feels like if I admit that, that means it's a L, an L on my resume, whereas Zimmer, <laughs> up until the season when you know he and Flip weren't seeing eye to eye, he was like, "All right, you're out of here." In the middle of a season, <laughs> Stefanski, you're the offensive court. Like that is someone who has gumption. That is guy that says, "I'm confident in yeah. what I know and what I'm seeing, and I'm going to stop what I think is the bleeding now and move on." Um, yeah. All right, so Give the Vikings got the, the 49ers next week. You think they have a chance? Yes or no? Absolutely. Okay. I think they have a chance. I, I think uh, the 49ers will win, but there's a chance. I mean, the Vikings have a good team. They got a defense that is going to play well against the Niners. They know that offense mm-hmm. because they play against them every single day in practice. So they're going to know the little trigger points that that offense has that you can kind of try to take advantage of. Um, so it's going to, I think it'll be a lower scoring battle than people think. Dalvin Cook looked pretty good today. He had 28 carries. Um, almost 100 yards, and I think if he can get even healthier next week, those numbers can be even better. A lot of production from the offense. Kirk Cousins at 240 yards passing. So um, they got a chance. They got weapons. Yeah. It's going to be one of these classic games, in my opinion, in the playoffs that's going to come down to execution. you got two teams that are built very similarly, offense and defense. When you look at their defense, the very similar defense, a front that wants to get after you, play physical uh, get up field, terrorize the quarterback, get penetration in the front seven. Um, and that's exactly who the Vikings want to be. So uh, almost mirror images of each other. Looking on the other side of the ball, does Drew Brees return to the New Orleans Saints next year? 
Well, it's so funny. Nobody even had talked about this at all the whole year because Drew was playing lights out. He had one of the greatest Decembers of any quarterback in NFL history. And everyone's just kind of assuming he's playing great. Mm -hmm. He's just going to keep playing forever. And all of a sudden, as soon as they lose this game and he didn't play all that well, people are like, well, time to go to uh, Taysom Hill. Mm. Time for Breeze to retire. And I'm sure Breeze is thinking like, what the heck, guys? Like, a week ago, I was potentially an MVP if it weren't for Lamar Jackson, and you guys couldn't wait for me to come back, and now you're pushing me out for Taysom Hill who threw one pass in the game? Yeah. And it wasn't even a great pass. He really struggled to throw the ball 50 yards. Yeah. I said so Taysom I'm not Hill, exactly I, I said on Twitter, convinced Taysom Hill's the future. Taysom Hill's not going to be the quarterback. Teddy Bridgewater is, right? Well, are they going to let Teddy the, Bridgewater the walk? The stories that I was reading after the game are, hey, maybe it's time to turn it over to Taysom Hill. It's the future of the NFL dual threat quarterback because Teddy Bridgewater is essentially Drew Brees, but he doesn't throw as well and he doesn't uh, – not that Teddy's not smart, but obviously he's not as smart and seasoned as Drew Brees is. And so you're getting a lesser version of Drew Brees with Teddy Bridgewater because neither of them run very well. But with Taysom Hill, at least you can kind of build a different offense around him more towards the modern NFL Taysom like dual Hill threat offenses. Tebow. I like Taysom Hill. Better. But I, no, I'm with you. I'm with He's you. Dutch but Clark. this is the conversation that's coming out of there right now. That's why I think it's kind of crazy. And that's why, to me, the overreactions in the NFL are, do get a little bit silly. Yeah. Like, the Patriots are dead. They're 12-4. and four. They had the number one defense in the NFL. Oh, Drew Brees should retire. The guy had the best December of any quarterback in recent history. Now you're pushing him out because he lost one game. It's it's just too much, too many overreactions, too many wild swings yeah. on our perception of people and players and and teams based on one loss. There has been a changing of the guard at quarterback in the league that has been consistent throughout the year, and it's all happened in literally one calendar season, which has been crazy to watch because we're like, we're so used to seeing Manning, Breeze. Um, Tom Brady, Roethlisberger, Philip Rivers, be Rogers. like the toast, the Rodgers, right? And and heck, they could take mm-hmm. an L their first game. Um, but we've, yeah. we're so used to seeing them be the toast of the town, and now we have all new blood. We got Tannehills, Cousins, <laughs> McCowns. Just a new league, baby, <laughs> which is a perfect segue to our next game. The Philadelphia Eagles took a loss against the Seattle Seahawks 17-9 which I think might have been the same score as the first time they played in Week 12, which is crazy. Let's, our researchers are on that. But I don't care about that. It's not about the playoffs. It's not about the Seahawks winning. This was my favorite game I may have ever watched in a playoff, an NFL playoff, in my entire life. Why? I'll tell you why. Josh McCown, coming in at six foot four, 218 pounds, grew up in Jacksonville, Texas. His license... When he was 16 years old, said he was five foot four. He hit hella growth spurts. He is a guy who's played for the Arizona Cardinals, Detroit Lions, Oakland Raiders, Miami Dolphins, Carolina Panthers, Hartford Colonials, San Francisco 49ers, Chicago Bears, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Cleveland Browns, New York Jets, and now the Philadelphia Eagles. He is 40 years old. There were three 40-year-old quarterbacks in these playoffs. Only one of them had a 94 quarterback rating. And it wasn't Drew Brees, and it wasn't Tom Brady. Josh McCown who leaves the week early. He signs the, he, he retires from the NFL and then goes to work for ESPN and coach high school football, and mm-hmm. he gets a call from the Philadelphia Eagles to come back to the game. He says, I will under one condition if you fly me home every Friday so I can continue to coach my boys in high school football, and I'll meet you at the game on Sunday, right? It's the best deal you've ever anyone's ever gotten. 
Car- fly me home on the G four fifty of the owner. Yes, I need, I need the the, the backup, sure. not not his main plane, of course, no, the backup no. plane, the 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 ten seater. And Wentz goes down in the game, and Josh McCown comes in, and McCown balled out. Man, did you watch the game, Joe? I did. Yeah, I was proud of Josh. I thought he did a great job. the The only thing, and and the Cleveland people will recognize this, is that Josh is what 40, 41 years 40 old. Forty years old, and God, I love the guy, but in his head, and this is, he's such a competitor. Uh-huh. He thinks he's 21 still <laughs> because every time there was a little bit of room, he was going to take, take off, off baby. and he was going to try to run for it. And it reminded me of the first year he was starting for us in the first game of the season against the Jets, yep. right? He he's helicopter. playing great, going right down the field, boom, boom, boom. He's reading the defenses. He's rallying the troops, doing all the things that true leader does. And then he sees that opening going towards the goal line. So he takes off <laughs> and he's running down the field and there's Demario Davis. Right? He tries to <laughs> leap up for the end zone and he gets <laughs> helicopter smashed right before he gets in the end zone. And that was the end of Josh McCown. He just, I think, still wants so badly to be that athletic guy out there. But here's the thing. But no, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop you there because, no, I mean, now that we're watching Lamar Jackson and Deshaun Watson, we're not going to call 40-year-old Josh McCown a dual-threat quarterback. No, we're not going to do that. That's what I'm saying. But, but in his head, he's running just as fast I as mean, Lamar Jackson. I mean, he was running, though. He, I mean, he was evading sacks. He did a good job. He needed a couple. He ran for first downs when he had to. He went 18 for 24. He took what the defense was giving him. He delivered some balls. He had him in there down at the red zone with a dime he delivered to Shelton Gibson, who was on the Browns practice roster earlier this year, caused the P.I. He kept their team in it. Like, he played well, I'm not lying, Joe, man. Like, I, I had chills, goosebumps. I'm yelling at the TV, me and Keisha, because, you know, we literally love McCown and his wife, oh, Natalie. God, everybody loves and, Josh. and we were, like, literally yelling at the TV the entire time, cheering. My Austin's in the room. Like, it felt like one of our relatives just got in the game with the playoffs. So to be 40 years old, make your debut like that, and give it everything you have. It, it is just yeah, it a, awesome, a definition of what Josh McCown is. He 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 gave everything and gave him a chance, man. I, I wasn't I was disappointed it didn't work out for him, but yeah. I couldn't be more proud of the dude. And then on fourth down, he saw that little opening. He saw man he coverage, it, yeah, and he said, "I can run for it." He knew. And then he, he knew started what, run for it, yeah. And they they closed in a little quicker than he thought they, they closed. They, they, yeah, the, the Red Sea closed a lot faster than uh, Moses <laughs> remembered. You know. Uh, <laughs> all right, so the Eagles take the loss. Wentz. Uh, is he a little injury prone? I mean, it's a concussion. I hate to say that about players. I I hate that, Matt, because it's it's you know it's it's all by chance. But this is the third playoff in a row where he can't play because of injury. So, at what point do you start to have that conversation? It, it has to already be there. I mean, the guys had several significant injuries, and maybe it's because of how he plays. But unless you're going to change how you play, how are you going to change your likelihood of getting injured i mean he's had a vast variety of different injuries so it's not like he's just got a bad hamstring that keeps popping on him i mean it's been concussions and back and acl and elbow it's like yep there's just guys that we've all played with that just tend to get injured and you can't put your finger on it you don't know why exactly but they're just always getting hurt and unfortunately for carson wentz because i really like him as a quarterback and I know he's he's a big hunter, so I got a little little soft spot in my heart for a guy that likes to pull the trigger on some ducks out in North Dakota. <laughs> but 
Colin Peter. He's just been getting injured in the worst possible moments for this team, and I don't think that's going to really affect him right now unless it really continues for a long time because he's just playing such good football when he's out there. Yeah. But that's definitely got to be a concern. If I'm the Eagles, I'm thinking, you know, this is the history and we would be silly to not try to prepare as well as we could in case he did get injured again in these right. moments like we've seen. And I think they tried to with Josh, and Josh did a great job when he was filling in. But um, I guarantee this offseason Philly is going to be thinking about Getting how much do we want to put how much do we want to put into that backup quarterback position from a resource standpoint? Because with Carson's injury history, there's a good chance this guy is gonna play. Yeah. Yeah, and in crucial moments. All right, let's talk Seattle. Now you picked the Eagles, and you also picked the Patriots, and you also what you could just say to keep it easy for the fans. At okay, home is, I successfully picked all of the losers, which is hard to do. <laughs> which is that's tough. It's tough. I, we don't have to football. tell them I picked them all to win, but right. I picked all the losers. You did pick all the losers. We'll just keep it at that. So thank um, you. Four and zero on picking losers. What the hell were you thinking going against Russell Wilson? That's my question for you. So if you look at actually their last month of the season, which uh -huh. momentum and how you're playing as a team going into the offseason a lot of times has a great is a great factor in your success in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Philly and Seattle both injuries all across the board. Philly, the guys that they brought up had grown more as a team. They okay. really had been playing well together. Carson Wentz was playing great football. And to me, it felt and it looked when you watched this group that maybe they weren't always the most talented individually, but collectively and as a team, they had a synergy where the good. sum of the parts was was more than the addition of the parts or whatever. Okay. I always screw up that saying. What is it? It's it's the whole is greater um, than the sum of its you parts. You can get That's a good look at a T-bone by sticking your head up. <laughs> That's right, Tommy Wouldn't boy. you rather take a butcher's word for it? Something like there that. There you go. That's I'm what sure I was going for. Yeah. So it just it, to me, it felt like that team had come together and was playing really good football, especially at home, especially that they were home underdogs. That team and that city just – they really uh, they embrace that mentality. How? And so that's what I was thinking. And, and Seattle, they kind of slid through the last part of the season. You know, for a while, they were potentially going to be a number one seed, and they kind of backed into the playoffs a little bit. Russell Wilson wasn't playing as well at the end of the season. Their running back backfield uh, is a mash unit. And so I, I liked Philly, and it's not like it was a blowout. I mean, it was, it was right there till the end. True. I did enjoy seeing a classic beast mode touchdown run. That was, that was a high point for me. But tell me, how bad is Seattle's offensive line today? Because it looked terrible. The I couldn't believe line? that they won in spite of that. Yeah, they played terrible. They have injuries. Maybe you didn't Yeah, they're notice. injured, and they don't have any running game because they don't have any running backs. Yeah. I mean, we want to talk about the one run that Marshawn Lynch had for the touchdown. He had six carries for seven yards. I mean, most of his carries were for zero or negative yards. That's not a great day. Well, on so, the other end of that, similar to you picking all the losers, if a running back scores one point for every yard they get, they probably are going to be pretty good in their career. Just putting that out there. Okay. If you change the rules, I guess. <laughs> oh, we'll go with that. yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. The running game wasn't but, good. Uh, the running game was not good, and so that hurts them so much. And really, Russell was you know, classic Russell, making amazing plays. DK Metcalf. Uh, oh, making fools out of a lot of people out there me. saying, I told you so. It's I look me, good Jim. with my shirt off. That means I'm a great receiver. You're, it's me. It's me. He's making a fool. Out. It's, you know, you know, it's funny. It's, you know, you picked 0 and 4 this week, right? In the playoffs. 
I picked all the losers successfully. You picked the losers. I don't understand when media people hate to say that they're wrong. Because honestly, I mean, this is maybe this makes me a weirdo. I enjoy admitting I was wrong about something. Because I I'm understand that. that it's like, yo, this, this is entertainment, right? Yes, we're experts because of the hours we've put in. But nobody's really an expert. Shit changes. Like, think you're going to be wrong about stuff. So it's weird if for you me. knew how every game was going to end up, you wouldn't be working in it's, media. Exactly. You would be gambling on every game and making billions of dollars. So but that's I, why we all watch, because even the smartest people in the world, they don't know what's going to happen. There's so many variables in a football game. It's not like baseball where the variables are pretty small. The variables right. in football are enormous. Who would have known that Carson Wentz is going to get hurt after completing one pass? Right. And Josh McCown's going to have to come in and win the game for him. Like, there's so many things that can happen. Exactly. Nobody really knows what's going to happen. The the best gamblers in the world are like 51 percent better than the house when it comes to betting on sports because it's just nobody knows exactly. And and, and I don't get when media people are like so upset when they're wrong and they, and people call them out and they have to admit that I was they're wrong about something. I say all that to say. <laughs> I was well, there's this about disease, and yeah, there there is this disease in today's society where we feel that if we're wrong or we change our mind about something, You're that it says guy. something about our character. Right? No, like there's new information that comes out all the time that I change yeah. my minds on things that I was very stubborn about early on. But that's to me, if we want to evolve as humans and as a society, we got to be open to finding yeah. new information and changing our mind. It's not a foible. It's not no. a fatal sin it's to have a different opinion when new information comes up. You learn. You live and you learn. I enjoy people telling people I was right. I enjoy people telling them I was wrong. You're right. You live and you learn. Yep. It's like originally when we first met, you were really big in the segregation. And now yeah. you've since I mean, changed I was all Jim learned. Crow all the time. You were Jim Crow all the time. And here we are. <laughs> that was actually my Look at us. In the locker room. Who would have thought, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> so DK Metcalf is a guy that I said, I was weird, leery of his NFL career because he didn't move really well laterally. And I was well, still, you went with the preponderance of the evidence. You went with the history of the combine that most guys that aren't very productive in right. college that have a great combine and look awesome. Don't have Don't great pro well. careers. Now, I didn't the know Mike rule. he was going to go to Seattle with one of the best, if not the best quarterback in the league. And all he was going to do awesome on that one specific route where he just runs a straight line down the middle of the field <laughs> and, and Russell throws a dime. I didn't know that that was going to be his route tree. So, yes, I was wrong. He's doing really well because he runs a 40-yard dash which he did incredibly, and he catches the ball. But no, he's done an incredible job. He runs a 40-yard dash, stops, and he's still big. (laughs) Right. Uh, But yeah, he's done incredible. I'm I'm a fan of DK Metcalf and everything he's brought to that team. All right, so so do the Seattle Seahawks have a chance in Lambeau Field next week in the divisional round? Well, of course, there's always a chance, just like we were talking about in playoffs. It's kind of a coin flip just about every game, but... I do think the Packers will win this game because okay. Seattle still doesn't have a very good rushing attack. They rushed 26 times for 64 yards. Their leading ball carrier from a yardage standpoint was Russell Wilson. And so while you can expect him to probably do that again next week, if you don't have a realistic rushing attack, it's very difficult to beat really good defenses uh, that also can score points. Right now we saw this past uh, weekend – Phillies has got a great defense, but their offense wasn't able to score very much. So Seattle was able to win 17 to 9. Uh-huh. If you're playing and against the Packers and you score 17, I firmly believe that Aaron Rodgers will be scoring in the 20s and you will lose. Yeah. And so in because they don't have that rushing attack, it's all on Russell. 
And as good as Russell is, that Green Bay defense is good enough to hold him under 24, 27 points. And I firmly believe in Lambeau Field, it gets cold. The field gets a little bit sloppy. That's when that wide zone scheme that the Packers run gets even more effective because once you're able as a running back to get your heels close to the line of scrimmage and now you've made that cut up where now instead of your shoulders are turning towards the sideline when you initially get the handoff, now your shoulders are facing down the field. All those tackles become angle tackles from inside out. Mm-hmm. And when the the footing is a little bit slipperier, you don't have that friction and that ability to create power to stop a running back from falling forward with his offensive line for four or five yards. And so mm-hmm. that running game, when it gets going, I think back to the old Denver when Shanahan was doing it in Denver in the nineties. The old school, like Shanahan. when they would play the old, old, old the, the Mike. Do we drink for a Mike Shanahan reference? I think you drink two. Oh, a okay. shot and a beer. Right. Drink for cow. <laughs> shot beer for Mike. All right. My bad. shot and a beer for Mike. Yep. So I just think about like how he used to tear people up at the end of the season because you get a little sloppy footing. The linebackers are just a half a step slower. The defensive line's a half a step slower to react. And it just makes tackling those guys for anything less than four yards nearly impossible. You have to come up with very creative schemes that are stopping it right away before those guys even start running because if you're running down the down the, the the line of scrimmage sideways and those guys are able to get off three four steps you've already lost yeah and i think the packers are going to score a ton of points All right, you're, you're pretty sold on uh green bay and i'm not going to say it's biased but you are and i mean so far if you just pick the opposite of who you pick you'll probably do pretty good in your pools and in, in vegas <laughs> so you would have won yeah well, well we'll get to uh, our picks later in the week for the games coming up uh next weekend lastly we got the Texans who outlasted the Bills in overtime. This was an exciting game. It was a lot of good damn football this week, man. Josh yeah, Allen that's... was just doing crazy shit, and it was awesome to watch. It was fun. Deshaun Watson down the stretch looked like a baller. Again, Josh Allen, he was he was fun, man. He put you on a roller coaster. It was like he was taking mid-game Twitter pulls of what he should do. In the plays, like, should I pitch this back at this crucial point in the game and see what? Should I roll the dice on this? All right, I'll do it. You don't think I'll do it? You're damn crazy if you don't think I'll do it. Um, yeah, did you watch that entire game, Joe? I did. Um, you know, I, I jumped on the Josh Allen bandwagon a long time ago. I jumped on the Buffalo bandwagon. I said they were going to be my yeah. surprise wild card team, and so you said he was better than Lamar Jackson long term. I'm, I'm never going to stop reminding you about that. Yeah, so I, I love I love cheering for your picks. Right now that we're you know media darlings, you got to yeah. cheer for your picks. You got to so be I'm right. cheering hard for. Buffalo you got to do the exact opposite of what we talked about last segment. We're exactly. cheering for us to be right. <laughs> yeah, so I uh, was cheering hard, and they started out great. And Houston started so slow; they just looked so uninspired. And then, of course, boop, 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 here comes JJ Watt. Sack! All of a sudden, he sparks oh, the team Watt. and. Everybody in that stadium comes alive, and all of a sudden, Deshaun Watson's like, yeah, I forgot I am Michael Jordan. And then he just starts <laughs> running around, making people miss, throwing the ball down the field. And uh, then Josh Allen, because of his lack of experience in those big moments, starts getting a little bit tight. And the opposite happens when you're Deshaun Watson. When you've been there, done that, and you know that you play your best football in those critical, pressure-packed situations the cream rises to the top, mm-hmm. and we saw it with Deshaun Watson making those plays down yeah. the stretch. He just knew he was going to make it. His teammates knew he was going to make it, and when you watched Josh Allen in his eyes, you could see that he felt 
the pressure of the moment getting to him and he started doing crazy stuff like you mentioned flipping the ball trying to flip the ball to his teammates which actually worked out tackled because it stopped the clock it it was okay but uh (laughs) third down you're in field goal range you got the tying field goal the only thing you can't do is take a sack what does he do he runs back there he takes a sack it ended up being an intentional grounding, but essentially the same thing. Then he did and again. then the next play, he runs backward, takes another sack. He like tried to loop and out like as if he was Deshaun Watson. Like, okay, buddy, yeah. let's, let's relax. And, Throw the ball and away. And then earlier in the game, he climbs in the pocket, and he kind of forgets that when you're climbing in the pocket, you got to keep two hands on the football and keep a tight grip on that football because that's when those defensive linemen are going to stop, they're going to retrace, and they're going to start closing in on you. And if you take off, you got to be expecting contact, especially from places you can't see. And what does he do? He kind of is a little careless with the football. Whitney Merciless knocks it out, gets the ball, gets the turnover. And that was kind of the story of the second half for Josh Allen and the Bills. I mean, I did these things in games where I pick – I pick with my head, um, but then I root with my heart that for something that happens during the course of the game, right? So I, I actually picked the Titans because I thought they were going to be the better team, and Rabel's my guy. So out, and then Brett Kern, who I went to college with, was drilling punts. McDaniel's cut him from Denver, and he was my guy. Like I was his gunner in college, so I was rooting for them to win because I wanted to see them win. In the New Orleans Vikings game, I picked the Saints. But then I thought it would be a really cool storyline of Kirk Cousins and Zimmer won again. So I found myself rooting for the Vikings down the stretch, right? So I'm rooting for that. the Vikings. What was the other game? Philly or Philly? Philly, Seattle. Seattle. So I picked the Seahawks. Then Josh McCown comes in. So now I'm rooting against my picks again, yeah. rooting for Josh McCown mm-hmm. to lead the Eagles to victory. In this game, I picked the Texans. And it's not that I was inspired by Josh Allen. He played well, but whatever. I could care less. Uh, but when they started showing J.J. Watt after everything anybody on the Texans did, I started to root against the Texans. <laughs> I don't know why. You J. and J. every Watt's other a NFL player. player in history. I'm like, dude, if they show this dude on the sideline one more time when somebody else makes a play, like, oh, what a play by Deshaun Watson. Side pan, J.J. Watt. <laughs> I was like, okay. This is pissing yeah. me off. So yeah, that's when I started rooting against the Texans. But yeah. Deshaun Watson. He was Watson, pretty excited to be mic'd up for that game. And he was pretty excited that the camera was going to be following him on the sideline because oh, he yeah. knew every time Deshaun made a big play or Hop made a big play, they camera were going to come me. to him. And it was going to be his moment. <laughs> I put the team on my back from the sideline. Did, did you see what? Did you see me evade that sack and make that pass? All right, Deshaun Watson, is he actually Michael Jordan the way that Dabo Sweeney told us when he was coming out of college? Well, it's going to take a lot more years than he's put in so far to become Michael Jordan, but he's on the right track, I tell you, because for a quarterback – you got to have a great regular season, of course, yes. Mm-hmm. But it's what you do in crunch time in the playoffs and the yep. Super Bowl that people remember you by, right? Yep. Eli Manning, I think he's going to be a Hall of Famer. A lot of people think he's going to be a Hall of Famer. There's some argument on that. His regular seasons were not always that great. But what he did in the playoffs in the Super Bowl, in my opinion, was enough to make him one of the greats of all time. Yep, I like that. I like that take. It's, I'm reading the uh... – the, the rundown for the show. And this is my favorite question I may have ever seen in our rundowns by producer John. Was this the most entertaining, terrible football game you've ever watched? <laughs> I thought maybe the last question would be your favorite. Do the Texans have any chance? <laughs> Not a chance. Any, is there a chance? Is there a hot no, chance in hell? Any chance. <laughs> that they can win next week. Do the Texans have a chance, Joe? We'll end it there before we get into am I tripping. Absolutely, they do. They've got the everyone has Jordan a chance when it comes back to Joe there. Thomas. You know, JJ Watt, he played really well. When you watched him, yeah, he, he did didn't well have 
a ton of stats. He did have a sack and I think two quarterback hits, but he was consistently beating his man. He was mm-hmm. making impacts. He only played primarily in those passing situations, but I'm assuming if he was feeling good after the game, they're probably going to get him a bigger dose and he can make a big impact in the run game, almost sometimes more than in the pass game because it's really hard to run away from him. The way he so quickly is able to beat a block on the backside to swim around or, or to swim inside of somebody and then mm-hmm. get back into his lane to make a negative play on the backside is kind of limits how you can run the football when he's out there. And so you actually have to run at him. That's the best mm-hmm. thing to do is double team him because he is a big, strong guy, especially the way he looks. He looks like Superman, but he's actually not like Aaron Donald. You can't run at Aaron Donald. You can't double team him. He's so freaking strong. But JJ actually gets pushed a little bit. When you get four hands on him, you can actually double team him. You can move him off the ball. Um, he's not a physical guy in the mm. run game, so the best way to attack him is to go right at him, put put two big dudes on him, and you can get some push and you can do some damage. And so um, I think he's a big X factor if he's able to play even a little bit more than he did this week. And if you keep it close, that's the danger with the Sean Watson back there because he can make that one play. He's like Russell Wilson, right? If it's close and he's got the ball in his hands – it's lights out. You may as well go home because you're going to lose. I have a question for you. So if J.J. Watt retires this year, let's say you know they win a couple games or they don't, he retires, how many years do you think before he's the president of the United States? Like give or take. <laughs> like over under seven uh, years? Yeah. yeah. Before he's yeah, he, elected president. He's not president. going into politics. He, no? The, the most popular you ever are in politics is right before you actually go into office and then, and then and everyone hates you. you. All right, well, I got a question for you. Let's say J.J. Watt, Peyton Manning, Tim Tebow, Larry Bird are on a boat. They're all going under. Twitter, a, a Twitter poll voting, America can save one of them. Who does America save? Okay. I don't know how popular Larry Bird is, to be totally this, honest. This I'm day sure and age, he's very no, popular, he's, or you he's, wouldn't he's have put last. him on there. Yeah. Um, I think Peyton Manning, because he is so likable. Like everyone liked him as a player, but off the field, he had such an engaging and funny personality that I think even if you were one of those teams that he just terrorized all the time, uh-huh. you still liked him because he was okay. funny and he had a great personality. Um, and I think people overall like JJ Watt. If you're a Texans fan or if you're from Texas, you love him and he is the greatest thing of all time. But outside of that, people are like, yeah, I really like him, but. I think they appreciate Peyton's personality more because Peyton's yeah. more, I think, to the average person, real and funny, whereas JJ is more like serious and almost like WWE entertainment-ish a little bit with okay. uh, his antics on the sideline and after the game, although he does some incredible work in the community, the relief work he did after the hurricane in Houston and the way he gives back, the way he helps kids, the way he conducts himself is tremendous like uh, unbelievable class act but i still think the average fan relates Once. more to peyton because of his they're humor and they, they give you more props they give you more prop points for a for good personality relatable. and the yeah. down-to-earth humor than like the serious stuff that That's you do. tough so it's basically a three-man race watt tebow manning and you say they save manning That's and i think because tebow is very polarizing like if you're a florida fan if you're a southern conservative christian this guy is the next thing closest to jesus but outside of that like there's a lot of people in this country who don't like tebow at all right yeah no agreed all right well time for am i tripping mm, 
producer John, tee us up with your best am I tripping takes this week. The Texans play the Chiefs next week. Joe gives the Texans a chance to win, but the winner will likely be Kansas City, and they'll very likely play the Ravens. Am I tripping, or is the AFC going to be a battle between Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, and Lamar Jackson for the next 10 years? Ooh, that's a good one. I don't know the answer, which is not a good take when you're on a podcast and doing sports media in general, but Hmm. I'm going to venture to say no, not for the next decade. Because I think what you're going to see in quarterbacks where we – like this past era went for a span of, let's say, 15 years with the quarterbacks who were the creme de la creme in the league. I think now it's going to go more in seven, eight-year increments. And what I think is going to happen is these quarterbacks are going to be lights out for the rookie contracts. And now that they won't be lights out beyond that. But what happens with every program is that you pay the quarterback so much, it starts to limit the talent around you. So if you look at Lamar Jackson, who's been incredible, this year's MVP, he has an incredible defense, an incredible offensive line, an incredible run game, and exciting young receivers. Eventually, all those people will get paid, have to leave, and the pieces around him will be harder because he can't also play defense. The same with Deshaun Watson and the same with Patrick Mahomes. So it becomes like which one is going to be able to still be that guy in spite of having limited talent around them like Tom Brady was able to do. Peyton Manning never did great without a lot of talent. Like He's always done great, but he's always had really good talent around him. So I just don't think in today's contracts that they're going to be able to sustain that kind of talent. So it might be stupid. But. Yeah, you, you won't be able to see the longevity that we saw with the Brady, the Breeze, the Rodgers, the Rivers. Like Those dinosaurs stand in the pocket, throw the ball quarterbacks mm-hmm. are just dead, and we've moved on to the dual threat guys which is great. It makes them dynamic. They're so much better earlier in their career because of that extra uh, weapon that they have running the football that they don't have to just rely on reading the defense perfectly every single play. Mm -hmm. It can be more of a one or two read type system. Um, But that's going to shorten their lifespan because as you get older, it gets slower. That's just the nature of life. And as you accumulate these hits throughout your career, the injuries will pile up. The athleticism will go down, and I think you'll see what kind of has happened with Cam Newton. Like you get to about that ten-year mark, just like a running back, and you just become really banged up, and you just don't have it anymore. And because of the way the NFL is, I think teams will be more likely to move on and go back with the rookie. Mm-hmm. Whereas right now, you know, the Saints, the Patriots, the Chargers, forever and ever, they they just stick with their guy because they know a pocket passer. That arm is the last thing to go. You may lose your wheels. You may get banged up, but you can still throw the football. And when you rely on a guy to be able to run the football, as soon as he loses that aspect, time to go younger. And so I think these young quarterbacks that are taking over the league right now kind of are we're going to go more to that five to ten year window because of the injury factor. Let's play a quick game. The next ten AFC championships, including this year, you can have Mahomes, Watson, and Lamar, or the field. Mayfield, Allen, Joe Burrow, Tua, anybody else, would you take those three guys or the field to win more AFC titles? I'm going to take those three guys. Joe? I'd take the field just because there's so much that we don't know. I mean, in two years from now, who's to say there's not a guy like Lamar that's going to come out of college that's just as athletic, maybe more athletic, that throws the ball better, like – that's the thing that's crazy is we don't know what's going to come out of college and it's so much easier to find guys that are great athletes 
than to find the Brady types that are super good at diagnosing defenses and throwing the ball accurately on time consistently. Uh, and it's so much harder to teach that. And so I think by taking the field, you just have a much better opportunity, especially considering the injury risk for guys that do like to run around. Uh, here's give you some analytic numbers. Actually, not analytic at all. It's just me guessing random numbers. Talk <laughs> um, <laughs> analytics, just pure guess. Talk <laughs> analytics, just just numbers. Um, I think you get one AFC title from Deshaun Watson. Mm. I think you'll get two from Lamar Jackson. Mm-hmm. And I think you'll get three from Mahomes only because I trust Andy Reid's ability to find untapped um, talent around him that hasn't yet reached their second contract, which he's always been really good at. Ravens were good at that with Ozzie Newsome. He's not there anymore, and I don't know enough about these guys. I don't have enough of a um, a sample size to say they can do it, and I don't think the Texans and Bill O'Brien can. Like, they won't be good at finding talent because they haven't been able to. They overspend. They're doing wild, wild west shit. But I do think Deshaun will get one. I think Lamar will get two, and I think Mahomes will get three. So that will give you six out of the ten. So you got six and four. There you Chris, go. save that for our January 2030 show. The first there you go. <laughs> yep. And can we negotiate the contract for that show? We'll talk that later. <laughs> All right, what do you got next, John? The Saints had a lot of chances to win today, Sunday. So I'm not making excuses for them, but it was disappointing that Drew Brees never got to possess the ball in overtime. It's happened before to Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes. Am I tripping, or do we need to change the NFL overtime rules so both teams possess the ball in overtime, especially in the playoffs? Joe? Yeah, I would like to see both teams get an opportunity. I I love the college overtime. I think if the NFL moved a little bit more towards that in the playoffs only, I respect that during the regular season you don't want to have these games go on for like six overtimes like you see sometimes in college and have – an extra 50 plays on these guys' body because they got to go back the next week and play. But I would like to see in the playoffs when it's loser go home uh, to at least give both quarterbacks an opportunity to get the ball. And if you score on your first drive, like we saw the Vikings do, um, let's give Drew Brees an opportunity to at least have the ball and score and match it, and then it'll go back to the Vikings. Um, something a little bit more closely to what we have in college I think would be better for the fan. I'm going to say, first off, I'm going to say this is never a conversation until it's a conversation. If you probably look at the overtimes, I feel like most times both teams possess the ball. The team who got the, gets the ball first only scores in the opening drive, I think, less than 25% of the So game. it's like such a, but it's like in that 25%, it's, oh, the rules are broken. Well, not really because, you know, you should have a good defense. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't come down. Like, I, I thought defense won championships, right? Like, but that being said, I do think a, a rule change because the game does sell off of its offensive firepower and their quarterbacks are the face of the league, and we all want to see the teams with the ball. I have a buddy named David who his suggestion is, you know, the team receives it. Let's say in the scenario like today, um, the Vikings go down and score a touchdown. Well, now the Saints get it and also get their possession, and if they score a touchdown, they have to go for two, mm. right? And boom, two possessions. If the, if the Vikings stop them on D at the two-point conversion, they win. Or the Vikings could say, hey, I'm going to go for two at the jump. Go up eight, right? And now they have, you know, if you really, really have a, a pair on you. But, yeah, that was his suggestion. That way everyone gets the ball, but the game still ends, and we don't have to sit here. Like in college football, when Wisconsin goes into nine overtimes versus um, South Dakota State, uh, we don't have to sit there and watch that the entire time. You know, it's here, 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 here's what I would like to see. I think it'd be cool and turn it into like a hockey type shootout where one team gets the ball on the two yard line for a two point conversion. 
you get you make it or you don't make it, right? You get two points. Then the other team gets the ball in the two, and they get a chance to match. Mm-hmm. Then you move it back to the four, and then you just keep moving it back two yards, <laughs> and you get one play until right. one team scores and the other team doesn't score. Yeah. I think that would be really extremely exciting, and it would still keep the game short so you're not playing too many extra plays. Right. Um, but you got that one play. Think about how many of those one-play moments where the game is coming down to that one play you would get and that how would exciting awesome. that would be. That would be. be so My awesome. heart is racing right now even thinking about that. I mean, think about how awesome that like would they're be. They're on the 50-yard I mean, line. <laughs> just go throwing <laughs> Hal Marys back and forth. <laughs> All right, what do you got next, John? McCarthy, McDaniels, McDaniel. Lewis, Stefanski, Bienemy, Sala, Dable. Am I tripping, or is the best part of this week going to be not the pundits predicting winners and losers, but the coaching drama for the Giants, Cowboys, Panthers, and Cleveland Browns? Yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm already having a lot of fun with it. I, I love doing research on new coaches and, and being like, oh, I don't like that about that guy. Oh, man, this guy doesn't even, he's never even called plays in this offense. And, you know, but really none of that shit actually matters. So it is fun to like, predict and just like we do with the games it's like oh here's my expertise i'm probably going to be wrong but here it is hawk you ever been to a cakewalk um yes we played wisconsin in football when i was in uh, college false so back when i was in hillside elementary in brookfield wisconsin we used to have hillside the fall carnival or whatever you know one of the games we always played was the cakewalk mm-hmm. and basically it was a game of musical chairs and when you sat down you got to you know pick a cake so that's why they say it's as easy as a cakewalk mm. essentially what i'm trying to say is we have a cakewalk situation where there's a few very very popular candidates but right now there's four teams that need a coach and so as soon as one team snatches up one of those guys that everybody wanted those dominoes are going to fall fast right and all of a sudden it's going to be paranoia and panic in these different organizations and franchises right now it's a very measured thorough approach to the process because nobody's been hired yet but as soon as that first domino falls it's going to be exciting to see how quickly the other guys jump on the coaches that they want so that they don't get it stolen from out from underneath them predictions for who is going to be the browns next head coach joe that's a good question um, thank you you know, I, th- I thought a long. I, I don't feel it. comfortable giving a prediction right <laughs> okay. now because the right. interviews for I think Stefanski and Dayball and the guys that were playing today are going to happen like tomorrow. I think yeah. so. Until I hear how those interviews went, I don't feel comfortable saying who I think it's going to be. But who do you think? Um, who do I like? I like. Well, give me uh, who. Who give me who do you like, uh-huh. and then give me. Who do you think it's going to be? I think there's a chance McCarthy goes to the Cowboys, so I think they'll miss out on him. I like Salah. Um, if he can bring one of those guys, McDaniels or LaFleur, or, hell, anybody else who can um, adequately run Cal's offense because we're very, very big fans of that offense. Um, I like Salah. I think it will be Stefanski. Mm. Why? Well, because, um, as reported, the analytics side likes Stefanski a year ago. And he's done a really good job with that office this year and, and, and turned Kirk Cousins into um, a really good quarterback. I, I don't know if it's him. I don't know if it's Kubiak. If Stefanski can come to Cleveland with Kubiak, then I think it's a done deal. I don't know if that's will happen. 
Um, but just based on the fact that they liked him a year ago and he's only increased his resume since then, I think he has a pretty good chance of getting the job. But I like Salah. So I, I think that the Cowboys are going to go McCarthy. Mm-hmm. I think McDaniels is going to go to the Panthers. I don't know who the Giants are going to get. They're in a weird situation again where they still have Gettleman as the GM, so they're going to not have all the premier first-class talent from a coach's standpoint mm-hmm. that are going to be interested in that job. They're going to get maybe a second-tier guy because of that because they already have Gettleman in place, and um, he's kind of an old-school, like gruff guy a little bit that might not mesh well with um, some coach that has more experience. Um, and so I think that it'll probably be Sala or Stefanski in Cleveland now that we kind of think about it and talk it through a little bit. Um, but I'm interested to see how these next round of interviews go here tomorrow, I think. Um, and I'm interested to hear what the feedback is that comes out of Cleveland. I think uh, Biennemi goes to the Panthers. Hmm. Okay. I think Biennemi goes to the Panthers. McCarthy goes to the Cowboys. And either McDaniels or Joe Judge go to the Giants. And the Browns get Stefanski or Salah. It's always sucks too because the good coaches who are still um, coaching, they kind of at a disadvantage of these jobs. Yeah, they get kind of screwed, you know. Yeah. So it, it's like Salah, who uh, to me is a home run candidate and and should be up for all the jobs. He's probably going to be coaching into the Super Bowl, and a lot of them will be filled by then. And typically, teams don't like to wait until after the Super Bowl to announce who their new coach is. Yep. What do you got, John? Anything? As a Giants fan, McDaniels makes me really excited and really nervous at the same time. You should be nervous, yeah. Because I think he could be Sean McVay 2.0, or he could pull a Belichick and like retire be, like a week later. He could be McDaniels 2.0. <laughs> 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 he could trade uh, all of our first-round picks for Kyle Orton. Yeah, yeah. You know, not to rehash McDaniels too much, but he's got the pedigree. Mm-hmm. He's got the experience as a head coach. We all know how smart he is and how good he is at uh, developing quarterback talent and offensive talent and developing game plans. Mm-hmm. The question is still, if all you know is what you've seen Bill Belichick do, how do you become your own person? How do you yeah. become your own coach that becomes the best version of yourself when all you know is how to replicate somebody else? Mm-hmm. And Joe, you drafted Tim Tebow in the first round. <laughs> if you guys were playing cakewalk, what's the job that you'd least want to have? Cowboys, Giants, Panthers, Browns. Is it the Panthers or is it one of these other teams because of the front office and owner? I would say I would least like to have the Giants job. Now you're just trying to hurt my feelings. I'm not. I would genuinely <laughs> least rather have the Giants job. Because of Gettleman and Jones? Because of the front office, because of the scrutiny that you'll face there. Um, in the New York media, it's a little different. Um. Yeah, I just don't think it's as sexy of a job as the rest of them. Panthers kind of flies under the radar. I don't know what Cam Newton has left, but mm-hmm. he's Cam Newton, and you reserve the right to say, oh, my two years there sucked because I need a new quarterback. Mm-hmm. Boom, buys you another three years. You can't do that with Danny Dimes, right? If you suck with Danny Dimes, it's you. You're fired. Danny Dimes stays. Or you guys go together because he's a young core of a, of a guy. Cowboys, mm. They're the Cowboys, and I like it because Jerry Jones will clearly keep you if you're mediocre for a decade, and they're the America's team. And you get paid. And you get paid. Um, and the Browns have a really, really, really talented roster. Mm, some things aren't sexy about Cleveland, I'll say that, and if you're looking from the outside looking in. But they have a really, really good roster, and I'm a Haslam fan. 
maybe because I know him. I'm very, very biased. But I like the ability to say, hey, continuity is important. But continuity doesn't matter if you've made the wrong decision. So I think I've made the wrong decision. I'm moving on in a year. That's admitting your mistakes. Something that I've already said earlier in this episode is a positive attribute. Joe, Hmm. least desirable job? Uh, That was a very persuasive argument for Mr. Hawkins. I was originally going to say Panthers because the quarterback situation is a question mark, but you're right. Because it is a question mark, it it's buys a great you more situation. time. <laughs> exactly. Because, yeah, you can easily you give Cam a couple of years or, and then you can get rid of him and then finally bring in your own guy and it kind of resets the clock. Um, but I, I'm still going to go with the Panthers. The unsettled quarterback situation. I've seen enough from Danny Dimes that I think he's going to be a good quarterback in the NFL. Okay. Uh, although the roster is a little bit bare, especially at the playmaker position. Um, I think you can do things with Danny Dimes and you can build a little bit of a roster around him because they will have some higher draft picks. And this is the deepest receiver draft that we've seen in a while. Um, so I, I think the Panthers is that is probably the least desirable job right now. Mm. One of my favorite Andrew Hawkins takes from 2019 that I absorbed in the past year was the key to being an NFL head coach is just prolonging the inevitable as long as possible. That's so it. anything you can do – to make the losses not your fault. That's it. Gets you paid more. If you look at the guys who stick around, they do it masterfully. Right? Like, you know, you, you just you just do enough to get you to the next year. That's all that really that's all that's it comes all down do. to. You don't have to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> right. You don't. Like it's just you progress and then if you don't progress, you have to have a really good case for why you didn't progress. And you stick around. Jason Garrett. Before we go, guys, picks contest. Yeah. Everybody who entered the picks contest, thank you guys for signing up. It's going to be a fun one. I think we have 110 submissions. Woo. Hawk tied for first place. <laughs> with Shocker. Went three for four. Nobody went four for four at all 110 submissions. Yeah. How about that? That says about how hard it is to go four out of four and play off football. Yeah. Right. No spread. Just pick them. Three out of four gets you in first place. Joe's in last place. Sorry, Joe. Thank yeah. you. Joe, you are. In, how many people are in last place with Joe? Ten. Ten as in like. They didn't finish their questionnaire. They lost all four games. <laughs> uh, I think they lost Both. all four games. So they all picked yeah. the same teams. Mm-hmm. All losers. Which were th- technically f- These are favorites, my flock. Three favorites. Yeah, I feel like that's just as hard as picking four, four winners. Right. Picking four losers is, just, is like just as hard. <laughs> I'm sure the odds are exactly the same <laughs> yeah. on how challenging but it is. But look how many people did it, that good. Yeah, actually, there's I think less people in last than there are in first. So. I guess if you just picked the favorites, you would have went what? Seahawks were favored. Three and one. Saints were favored. No, because Patriots were favored. Oh yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. Two and, and two. Texans. You would have went two and two just picking mm-hmm. the favorites. So that alone. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Well, we still have three more weeks left. Seven more games. So you pick the underdog when the favorites won, and you pick the favorites when the underdogs lost or when the underdogs won. That's incredible. Joe, you are Thank one you. of many, man. You're, that's special. Uh, one, of, one of a kind. One of a kind. My girlfriend and my buddy from college who lives in Vegas are also both defeated in this contest. Both defeated. <laughs> They're so you, defeated. The only way to be a 4-0 four, four winner right now is you have to have the expertise in football and also be a Vikings fan. Right. Like, that's the that's only right. way to be 4 0. <laughs> like, you had I'm to be surprised Beef Bruce from Minnesota. <laughs> did not go 4 0. <laughs> you got the Vikings pick right, I'm sure. Somebody out there, anybody. If you went 4 0 this week, 
Tweet us. Don't lie about it. We need straight up. Not we, even against the spread. How would we, you know? We need proof. Maybe somebody tweeted. Like maybe they sent a tweet a week ago. Here's who I'm picking. If you have proof of you going four and hit us up on Twitter. We want to bring you on the show. We want to talk to you about your your expertise and pro- hope and probably get you a job with ESPN or something. I don't know. Hit us up, man. They'll probably go on for this week. Yeah, exactly. Which <laughs> we will then rip up your resume. All right, that does it for this episode of the Tomahawk Show Wildcard Weekend. Joe, you got any final thoughts, man? Yeah, the two best weekends of football on a calendar are always wild card and divisional weekend. Mm, and thanks. this weekend sure did not disappoint. And next weekend, I cannot wait to finally pick all four losers again and go <laughs> eight and no picking losers. Wow. For the first two weeks of the playoffs, it's going to be riveting. You're a damn genius, Joe. All right. Uh, that does it for this episode. We are recording next week on Wednesday for our Thursday episode, correct? Yes. All right, recording Wednesday. No Thursday night football anymore. So Thursdays will be the day we release our episode because Joe made $5 million in ep- per Thursday night football game. So you could do the math at home. He made $5 million per Thursday night football game, and that is over for the year. He'll come back next year, and that salary actually doubles. Um, he didn't want me to give you that information, but now you have it. That does it for today's we're all episode. Friends here. Yeah, we're all friends, man. Don't tell anybody. Joe, take us out. Joe Hawk yourself.